Welcome back to another episode of PPK. Back for another episode with the boys for another installation of the Modern Saint series. So hopefully y'all been enjoying it. We've been enjoying kind of bringing some of these saints to you. Some of you may be familiar with them. Some of you may not be. Some of you may only have a little bit of information. So hopefully this is beneficial to you and to others. Some of you may be like, John, I'm not even Catholic, bro. I don't even know what you're talking about. But either way, we hope that it's edifying and fruitful. Ask questions, comment below. So for this episode, uh, I'm going to kick it over to Meeks to talk about who is our guest saint for this episode. Yeah, once again, you guys already clicked on the video, so this is no spoiler here. Uh, it's St. <laughs> Pius X. It's his feast day today when you're watching it. Um, so, you know, pretty uh, interesting figure today. Uh, not so much. I don't know if he's as interesting in his time as he is now. But um, anyways, we'll get a little bit to his bio, and then we'll kind of talk about some sort of pillars that we felt like were in his papacy that we can kind of relate to our, our everyday life. Um, he was born with the name Giuseppe Sarto. Uh, he's born in 1835, died in 1914. He was Pope from 1903 to 1914. Um, he was actually, there's a span there from for about 400 years where we didn't have a saint pope until Pope Pius X. The one before him was Pope Pius V, and that mm. was in 1572. So pretty interesting to think about. Um, pope Leo XIII should be uh, a saint, but that's not what we're here for. But anyways, it's interesting <laughs> fact to know about that. Um, so it was a little bit interesting. I saw that he was the second of 10 children and also that he was the oldest of nine and eight children. So I'm not really sure how many children the uh, Sardos had, but he was somewhere up there in that vicinity of the older ones. Um, supposed to be a pretty bright guy, even though he was, I think one of the few, like he taught theology at a, or taught some classes at a seminary, but didn't have a doctorate. And usually most, a lot of popes these days have like six of them. So um, but other than that, he still did really well in, in school and all that kind of stuff. It says in grammar school, he was kind of first in his class. In high school, I guess he finished high school like 15, went to the seminary right after that. So obviously a pretty bright guy. Um, and he kind of started getting into a lot of teaching, educating. Uh, he would do that for the kids, kind of started this thing where he had kids uh, come in and he would teach about the faith. And then even at nighttime, he started doing the same thing with adults. And then as a pope, he ended up becoming... Uh, well, he was raised as a bishop and cardinal by Pope Leo XIII. And then once Pope Leo passed away, he got 55 out of 60 votes uh, from the cardinals. And his coronation took place on August 9th, 1903. Um, and he's known for a lot of different things, a lot of things like the Eucharist, um, especially making that age to about seven and um, making it more available to receive more frequently for uh, us laymen. And a lot of things based on modernism, canon law some other things that we'll get into. But uh, overall, things about his personality that when I was doing my research, I guess he wasn't too uh, smiley, not too smiley of a guy. Um, during his papacy, he was known to be pretty pretty serious and to be con constantly sort of in this uh, mode of like meditating on like the seriousness of where he was at and like the role that he played. He actually chose the name Pius because he said that um, basically I'm going to suffer I'm going to take the name of the popes who have been suffering for a while. And I guess the pious, I mean, I'm not too educated on that, but it seems like the pious is really going through it because there's uh, four of them before that weren't saints. So maybe he wanted to relive that one up. And um, very much a, a humble man who grew up poor. And then he has a quote. I don't know if I'm going to have it, but it essentially said, I grew up poor. I lived poor. I'm going to die poor. And um, he had a couple of things where he really felt uncomfortable with sort of the 
I don't want to say luxury, but you know, as the Pope, you're going to have the nicer things and dress in a certain way. That's different from everybody else. And he can definitely feel uncomfortable with that. So overall, we're going to talk about some of the pillars, but as a man and his personality seemed very humble, very holy and um, centered on the Eucharist a ton as well. But yeah, I think he also um, was a great leader in the sense of you think about all the stuff that he did implement Right. He saw a, a need at the time to address uh, multiple issues, um, whether it was uh, the way the church prays, whether it was um, how the laity are formed and um, receiving graces. When you talked about the Eucharist, we'll get into more more into that. Um, so it just seemed like from a leadership as a shepherd, he was guiding us towards a place of, of firmer foundation and, you know, essentially concerned about our sanctity, right? the un- unification of the church, but also the sanctity of the souls of which he was entrusted to. Definitely something that I think I picked up in his bio. Yeah, I'll I'll start to I'll actually kick us off for the sort of breaking down his pillars, um, and then Keanu, you can kind of you know belly flop off me if you'd like. His motto for his papacy was to restore all things in Christ. So his first encyclical that came out, um, I did a lot of research and didn't pick up that name of that encyclical. So that's a pretty good job on my part. But his first encyclical, <laughs> he talked about that's kind of his duty. He wanted to restore all things in Christ. Um, he had a couple of good quotes. I'll share one of them that we can kind of, you know, set the tone for this sort of theme. He said, the greatest obstacle in the apostolate of the church is the timidity, or rather the cowardice of the faithful. So, you know, when I kind of set that up, I feel like, or what I'm thinking about the context of that, it seems like maybe we obviously get to this point where we want to entertain, you know, the Darwinism. We want to entertain the science. We, we can't put Christ into everything. And it can't surround all of us. You know, yoga is just about, you know, stretches and all this kind of stuff. So I feel like that's a good direction to take it um, because it really is. I mean, the priests have a, have a big job, but as laymen, like we're the ones that are in the business world or all this kind of stuff. So if we're going to be cowards, then there's not a whole lot of restoring in Christ. It's going to be a whole lot of looking like everyone else. So with that, Kenny's and belly flop off. Me, <laughs> yeah, I will say just backing up on his personality. And you mentioned how he was known for being not not so smiley. And I'm wondering just just as a, a therapist, I was like, I wonder what his temperament is. Mm-hmm. If we were to be able to look at that, um, just because I know for myself, you can't really tell uh, how I'm feeling or my emotion sense all the time based on just my facial expression, right? I don't really wear it on my sleeve. And so, you know, you think of the saints as oftentimes being like kind of just floating around and like, and they're kind of, they're kind of skipping through the daisies and dandelions and they're just having the grand old time because the love of Jesus is so in fire in them. But you see another saint who was very firm and, and passionate, but also but gentle in his actions. Um, and there's, you know, there's stories that we can get into of how he dealt with his brother priests and what have you, and just how much charity he showed these men and without having to maybe be as smiley as we may think other saints are. And so just the, the vastness of um, our saintly brothers and sisters who have gone before us. And like, there's a person out there who resonates our own personality and temperament, likes and dislikes mm-hmm. that we can really learn from. And I think that's something that we, we want this, this modern saint series to um, reflect for, for the listeners that, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly your personality or what have you, um, but there's someone there that you can, you can resonate in some way. Um, but as far as the restore all things in Christ, I think it's so important to talk about that now because you're seeing it everywhere as religion being more like just in those four walls. Like you do that and that's fine. They, right? They back off. Like, I'm not going to say, you know, you have a right to that. 
but like any ounce of it outside of those four walls, like no, now, now that's intolerant. Now that's uh, now you're. I just think of, I just think of the what was what is a woman uh, documentary and how Matt Walsh is simply like I just want to find truth, right? And you think of like what he what Pope Pius was doing was like he was trying to evangelize the ignorant. What he says like by teaching them the faith, teaching them truth, because if not, what happens? They allow things out of their ignorance that are immoral and unjust, right? Because they just simply don't know better, right? But you think of I think of that segment where he was interviewing Professor Kiefer Sutherland and, <laughs> and uh, from, from Lost Boys in vampire mode. And <laughs> he was just saying, like, I'm, I'm just wanting to find the truth. And he's like, you, you keep invoking the word truth. And it, he's like, it's, it's like rude and condescending or what have you, right? And you just see, like, you get so far away from actually pursuing truth in this, like, kind of modernistic, um, I know Tim Staples talked about, like, the indifferentism that was huge in that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, to restore all things in Christ is like, no, no, no. It's not like we're going to separate what we do. Like Christ could be, um, and should be in every aspect of our being. It's a relationship in all things. Who so I think who is true. Right? Exactly. Yeah, who is yeah. truth. And I think that's something that, and we can probably get into this. It'd probably be a whole episode in and of itself, but especially for us three and those listeners who are, uh, lay who are especially in have their own family who might have a spouse and, and kids or just aspire to that um, the domestic church life is the perfect example of how every mundane task you, that you do as a husband or a father um, or I mean mother or wife whatever um, should be done to glorify God and to serve those around you and and to me that's you know maybe what what we can take from restoring all things in Christ is, is Pope Pius X is telling us it's it's not just at church because a lot of people are left um, to be ignorant because they go to Mass on Sunday just to check it off and they go and they have not a lot of formation. Um, so I, this kind of goes into one of the episodes we talked about, I forgot which one, where we talked about the importance of educating ourselves so that we can actually go out and evangelize to those who, who may not know. Yeah, I mean... Going to the restoring all things in Christ, I think this has been a big problem, as you stated, Keone, where, uh, especially as men, I think we tend to compartmentalize a lot of things, especially faith. So you think that just going to Mass on Sunday checks off all the boxes. And, and I think um, even when we get into the part of the Eucharist where, you know, Miku, you mentioned early on on his bio, right, that he um, allowed, he, he recognized that as long as the uh, children understood that this was the God present in in you know, the bread and in the wine um, and in, in its accidents, if you will, that, um, that that was good enough to know exactly what you're about to receive and that you can experience graces because of that. And so he, he obviously allowed for children to receive as well as us as the lay faithful to receive it more than just once a month or, you know, once every time we go to mass. So there's a there's an element. Um, I think what you hit on Keone is like you can't give what you don't have. And so there was that where we see today. I mean, you're talking, this is a 20, 20th century saint. Back in the 1900s, when he started to implement some of these things, the early the early 20th century, and yet we are still reeling from the consequences of compartmentalizing, taking God out, the fact that, you know, uh, Professor Kiefer Sutherland, as you're stating, was saying, you're invoking truth and that's condescending and rude. Huh? 
But I guess, hey, you know, like St. Augustine said, truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. You just let it loose and it'll defend itself. And I think when now today, when people try to root God out or make God this thing that you can do in your own private way, but don't bring him out into the public square. Don't bring him into the conversation. I don't want to be, um, I don't want you to judge my moral behavior. Like, I don't need that kind of God. Whereas it's like, no, Pope Pius X was, Pope St. Pius X was saying, no, we're going to restore all things in Christ. Everything we do should flow forth from that very reality of Jesus being obviously the, the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, I want to share a couple more quotes um, to finish off this sort of topic here. And he says, whatever the Christian may do, even in the domain of earthly pursuits, he does not have the right to neglect the supernatural. What is more, he must ordain all things toward the sovereign good as to his last end, following the precepts of Christian wisdom. So it's like, you know, in our daily pursuit, we can't, it's not like, hey, yeah, I know I get that piece here. But in business, you know, business is business, not business, not business. <laughs> this, this is God's business or whatever it may be, you know? And I think that's the thing that we sort of limit ourselves. And it's like one of my common critiques of like Franciscan, excuse me, in a business, as a business major at Franciscan, there's a lot of like, hey, let me give you these classic sort of uh, conservative libertarian principles. And then we're going to send you off and make you a good businessman. But it has nothing to do with like, how can we create Catholic businessmen, right? Like how, how can we go and say what the church has to say about whatever maybe maybe too high of interest rates or um, what it means to sort of be just in the workplace and giving people wages or what that kind of looks like or profit sharing or things like that it has nothing to do with that and so it kind of we we don't make a better society when we do that we just sort of I think shoot ourselves in the foot we make the conviction the convictions that we have as, as a church less strong in those ways and I think ended up we just become like he said timid or cowards because it's like oh you guys are really strong about this aspect what about all these other things that you guys should be what about the what the church says on certain things of catholic social teaching that we seem to miss so often and then also i think there's a a good point to bring christ in in new ways in terms of how we're creating the social media that platform there's so many things now that we have the opportunity to now present him and such you know i think things like uh what's what's uh Jonathan Rumi's show, whatever, Chosen, Chosen, Chosen different things yeah. like that that have obviously had a, a strong impact. I think those are things, too, to think about. Um, there's, there's a lot of different things. And then I have this, another quote I'll share, too. The civilization of the world is Christian civilization. The more frankly it is, so much is it more true, more lasting, and more productive of precious fruit. The more it withdraws from the Christian ideal, so much the feebler it is to the great detriment of society. Yeah. So we have that point where we're always like, hey, we don't want to, like, you know, put this on you, which is a way to go about it. It's not like, hey, you know that like, you're going to go to hell if you keep doing this, right? Like, it's probably not the best way to do it. But in terms of, like, we have to understand that as a society, the more Christian it is, that's the only way we can move forward. That's it. There's no other, like, yeah, but then if we have Buddhists in this area or we have a little bit of Muslim tendencies over here, the more Christian a society is, the better. That doesn't mean that it has to be Christian people, if they're not living it out, then they're not true Christians. But the more Christian as a society we are, you know, I used to be the kind of person that like thinking about politics of, yeah, dude, we can't have church and state. There's too much corruption and this. And that's like a common thing as an, as an American where you're, you're kind of afraid of sort of England, I guess you have this like thing in the back of your head about royalty and things like that. But it's like, no, actually I think if Pope Pius was, you know, the president of the U S I think we'd be going in a pretty good direction or things like that. I think we just kind of, as Americans, we can get scared of like, no, these things have to be separate in this way or that way. But 
we have to well you can see that you can see the protestant in in us right that they were trying to break away from the monarchy and if you look at it from an aquinas perspective that he he would be an advocate for a king obviously a sovereign king that was rooted in christ right so if you have somebody that's looking out to what you were quoting from pope Pius x was that that if we ordain all things toward uh our last end but towards the sovereign good and insofar as everything's in conformity with natural and divine law, is what Pope Pius X says. So that way, anything that we do, if it's in conformity to natural and divine law, and then it's underneath the jurisdiction and judgment of the church, guarantee you most Catholics, more or less most, I mean, definitely, because Catholics, we have a hierarchy, right? Whereas other Christians may be out there, and it's like they're their own pope, right? essentially, right? But for us Catholics, how many Catholics do you think are living their life where they're living towards that, that the last end, that everything that we're doing, and that we say, oh, yeah, is this in accordance with natural and divine law? Like they're literally thinking like, is how I approach business, how I approach my transactions in accordance with the, the, the respect of the dignity of that person in true justice and in true charity? Probably not, right? And then and if the church tries to judge it, what are you doing in my business? Why are you in my business, church? You know, that's the thing is they want, they don't want that judgment over our moral behavior over this is my, Hey, I go and I tithe on Sunday. Why are you, why are you in my business? How I do business. And I think that's where we fall into a lot of that error today. Keone. Yeah. I think another point that keeps coming up to me that I, I want to make clear when we're talking about restoring all things in Christ, cause there's the, there's the avoidance or i guess doing away with the timidity right and the cowardice right there's the instruction there's the bringing christ into all things of your life that's huge but i also think the way he did it was obviously you're you're creating more avenues for people to be evangelized too whether that be creating like the catechism um the or the cat the catechism classes for for young people yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. so yeah catechism classes um, he revamped the teaching of priests because I, mean, I think when he was a bishop, um, newly ordained, there was like, I mean, I think a handful maybe of vocations. And within a couple of years, I want to say, it was it went up to like 160. And so like there's, he's obviously emphasizing the instruction, but I also think there was a, I want to say it was when he was a bishop. It might have been when he was a pope, but I think it was when he was a bishop and they were doing confessions. And there was a priest who I think was late and he seemed like he was kind of resistant to the whole thing, the change. And he comes in late and goes into his his confessional, and uh, Bishop Sarto was there, and you know Pope Pius was in the in the confessional, and, and he didn't he didn't wag his finger at him like you're late. What are you doing? But out of charity, he's just like brother priest. If you're going to be late, just let us know. And then that priest was never late again. But like the gentleness, but also the firm, like you're not, a, you're not conflict avoidant. Like, oh, I just, I was just, you know, filling in for you. But, but like, if you're going to be late, right, out of charity, it's like, this is what you need to do differently moving forward. I'm not going to think of you as any less. I'm going to be there for you out of charity. But that's also true justice, is justice still has charity in mind for the good of the other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that when I mentioned earlier, how he wasn't as smiley as, as other saints have been, but he, his actions were for the good of other. And when we were talking about a Christian society or a civilization that is more Christian, well, if it's less Christian, well, then it has rooted less charity in its foundation because we think of 
the greatest the greatest virtue is, is charity that we can exercise um, because of the fact that we're loving and willing the good of the other for God's sake. And if that's not at the root, then there's going to be some sort of selfish means. There's going to be uh, a, a kind of a consumerism take stomp over the other person to get yours attitude because we don't have the good of the other person in mind. And regardless of what um, other religion might make itself in there, the less Christian it is, the less charity it's going to have because that's the foundation of our faith. Yeah, well, um, God, is, and so God I, is love, right? So it's like mm-hmm. the less Christian, the less it's more worldly love than it is God loving through you. Yeah. Keone, I was just going to so, comment because you, you hit on yeah. a, a real quick. Uh, St. Augustine said that charity is no substitute for justice withheld. So just that point that you, so charity is no substitute for justice withheld. And so that connection, that, that, that link between charity and justice, um, St. Augustine calls out. So I think I'm just glad you had brought that piece up because Mm -hmm. in today's world, what do we say? Oh man, you're in, you're being intolerant, uncharitable because you're calling somebody out or because you're correcting your brother priest, which is of course, uh, admonishing the sinner and instructing the ignorant are part of two, two of the spiritual works of mercy that we're called to do as the right. Christian faithful. I also say this too. I want to give a shout out to Dr. Popcheck because it's been in our conversations together. Um, but in one of his books or maybe multiple of his books, I've read 11 of them in the past month. So I'm <laughs> kind of confused on which one I'm referring to. Um, but he talks about um, the law of gradualism versus gradualism, gradualism of the law. And I, I just think of like the way to actually evangelize. When we talk about Pope St. Pope Pius X, the law of gradualism is saying we have an end, an ideal of what God is calling us to do, but to evangelize to this sinner and their ignorance, to assume that they're going to magically be at this state tomorrow is not true evangelization. Like God met us where we were at, but always toward the end good, right? Always moving us towards the end good because he knows our heart. He knows the hardness of our hearts, right? So he knows that he's going to almost wear it down a little bit so that we can continue out of free will, choose the good and build virtue. That's a lot different than what we see nowadays, which is the opposite, not law of gradualism, but gradualism of the law, in that now it's lowering the law for lowering the law's sake. Because, eh, that was cool, but I don't really like that. That's for, you know, that's a different day and age. We're progressive. I want my freedom. So we're going to lower the standard, lower the bar, because it feels good for freedom's sake, for the this a freedom in quote sake, not because well I know myself and my vices and my bad habits and my trauma and my past or what have you, and it's a lot harder to achieve that end goal, but just because it's easier to do. And I think when I when I heard some of the stories of how Pope Pius um, instructed, especially his brother priest, but I'm I'm talking about when he's talking about um, calling out modernism, there is a sense of tactful evangelization but bold at the same time right so he's going to instruct he's going to teach us what is true but his everyday interactions with his brother priest or those that he was encountering wasn't so much of like let me shove it in your face kind of miko saying like hey if you don't meet the standard you're going to hell but in a very charitable loving but firm way and i think you know just in my life the times where i've evangelized other people it's very tactful you know, you have to meet that person where they're at for them to just say yes in the way that they can. Even though I want them to have a bigger yes, or I want them to commit to something more. Um, 
the law of gradualism helps them get to that ultimate end, but I'm not throwing them over to the end. Um, cause that, that just becomes more about me. So I think that's something to just kind of keep in mind that, um, Pope St. Pius X was a master at. Yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep moving forward. Uh, we obviously can touch a little bit about the teaching, um, aspect of St. Pius X. And then I'll just say a couple of things here. Um, you know, he's the one that began the process for revising and regularizing the code of canon law. Um, he's actually required catechism in literally every church. Um, and then also he's the one establishing CCD, Confraternity of Christian Doctrine. I didn't even know that's what it said for us all the time. But yep, he's established CCD. Um, and it's actually really cool. So he actually describes the duties of a catechist, right? And I thought that was really interesting too, because um, as we've gotten kind of more matured in the faith, I was always thinking like, oh yeah, dude, catechisms for you know people that their parents aren't doing the job of it but it was like more like no you should be sort of educating you know a lot of times a parent so that you're better equipped to educate but it's not like you're free from your duty hey you go to catechism and i don't have to know anything you know kind of thing Mm -hmm. so anyways interesting to know about that but he says the task of the catechist is to take up one or other of the truths of faith or of christian morality and then explain it in all its parts and since amendment of life is the chief aim of his instruction, the catechist must needs make a comparison between what God commands us to do and what is our actual conduct. Then he says he should, in conclusion, earnestly exhort all present to dread and avoid vice and to practice virtue. I think that's a pretty good way to sum it up at the end. It's just like, actually, just, you know what I mean? Don't commit these things and try to work on these things, which is a good thing to do. But um, I, I just kind of like how, you know, he explains sort of later on in, in uh, his encyclical about, sort of how many adults are now out here and living in the wrong because they have no clue who Jesus really is or what his teachings are or anything like that. And how he was very passionate about sort of the priest being that catalyst in educating the people. And a lot of times from their sermons or the homilies at mass and how, how much better those should be. Cause those are the moments when you do have the people, it wasn't as regular as it is now. So it's like when you do have those 15 minutes talking for those people, how sharp and clear you should be so that we're not sort of in this cloud of ambiguity and whatever else. Um, so, you know, I think that's a really big thing. Obviously we're not here to sort of talk about how the priests need to do that. I think we should obviously focus on the layman and how we need to continue as Kelly was saying to educate ourselves in order to educate one another in order to know how to meet people where they are because a certain thing that Kelly's talking about and I, I heard this, I heard Matt Fred say this a lot right when he first really experienced his conversion he really just wanted to share it with everybody and I think that's an awesome thing to do but you also have to each individual person is a person is a soul they have different ways they have different wounds they have different reactions towards things and so I think the better equipped that we are the better rooted that we are in prayer that we can come to each person and sort of not always know exactly how to bring truth into the conversation or bring them to God. But I think those things help. And we, if we're not sort of knowledgeable, then we're always going to shy away from that conversation, right? Like we're going to be like, Oh, I'm not worthy enough. I can't, I don't know how to combat this and that. And you know, you don't have, I don't think we have to necessarily become obsessed or try to be like Trent Horn, but to a certain level, we have a responsibility to know, understand and defend the faith as well. So when people are over to just, you know, blaspheming out of their behind then it's like, Hey brother, why don't you come over here? Come outside. Okay. I'm practicing Muay Thai and I want to show you a couple moves. No, don't do that. <laughs> but you can just say, Hey dude, like I was actually not sure. Have you ever thought about it this way? All right, sick. Probably not. And you just move on. You know, the, the the best thing to do, especially with, you know, the young generation, my generation, Gen Z is um, their professor hasn't really wired them just yet to uh, 
to defend arguments. So what they do is they just put in three points that they can make, like uh, like the church is sexist. But then if you say anything, reverse that, they don't have a response for that. So it's like, it's just certain things like it's not, you don't, I don't think you have to be someone who's crazy knowledgeable, but understand when you're fighting all these people who hate religion, it's just their, you know, whatever it was, I don't know, um, whatever class, what humanities 101 they probably take. And then the professor is going to give them the three classic things. And it's really easy to break through those things, but it's like, we got to be prepared for those Mm -hmm. because we're coming in with a lot of, I mean, Ella works at for a secular job and you could just see this sort of like, somewhat hatred for religion and a lot of these people and they just have zero clue they just all been brainwashed to these things and it's like just challenge them on one little thing right and um i mean I, for example i'll throw this one out uh, a co-worker said that um you can hate catholics um but not muslims because that's more intertwined with ethnicity in a group of people's race mm, okay got it thanks yeah, yeah do you do you know any um muslims who are ethnic Ethnically Muslims. I forgot Islam was a country, but keep yeah. going. <laughs> it's not become like 18 countries, but uh, I don't think Islam is a country. So like that's, the, I just bring that up to say like that's what we're up against. Yeah. So you don't have to be Aquinas. You just have to like use your brain sometimes and you might be able to penetrate. But like don't be afraid to go out and step in and say like, no, you know what? I got a couple of things in my back pocket. Yeah, I think, you know, going to this teaching, you know, Praise God that he started the the confraternity of Christian doctrine, what we know as CCD or catechism, right? For at this point, where it's actually an attempt to better form. Um, of course, he, you know, we've been hit, hitting on him uh, for, forming his priests and those who are responsible for leading us in the faith, but also forming the lay people, forming families, and and, and I think this is something that um, I know we, you know, even as as um, in our own apostate of world ablaze, right? We look to try to, to, to catechize and, and evangelize the hearts of the faithful to encounter God in his church. So I just think that that's a key thing that, you know, shout out to, to Pope St. Pius X to actually start something that we see today in action. Um, plenty of opportunity to improve because I still think parents think of CCD as Catholic daycare. Um, and, and we, you know, we're just, For real. yeah, right. Just drop them off and then, then don't live anything according to any Christian values and then expect them to get confirmed. So um, anyway, that's just my little rant there. Um, but but the chief I'm, aim, right? Yeah. He talks about the chief aim of instruction being the amendment of life, of your yeah. life. And I think that's huge, right? Because even if you do know all of it, but you're not, like if you don't have love, right? If you don't do all things for the good of other, then it's nothing, mm-hmm. right? It's so like, I think it, the idea of amending life even says to dread and like have a hatred of vice, because even that alone, like any vice you have, you should be getting rid of it mm-hmm. because you're not taking any of that to heaven if that's where you want to go. Right? And I think that that shift in your daily life, your perspective of daily life, that's how you restore all things to Christ. Because yeah. everything you're doing should be amending your life to, to be an image of Christ himself to others. That's how you restore all things. Well, you and I want to read... The act of contrition. Yeah. Right to, yeah. to 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 confess my sins, to do penance, and to amend my life. That's what we walk mm-hmm. away with after we cleanse our souls of all the the sin that we uh, we committed up until that point. Go ahead, Kenny. Mm-hmm. Well, I was I was going to read a quote that that we have from from Pope Saint Pius X, and he talks about in response to the ignorance that he sees, and not only the youth but in, in adults too. It says, in consequence of this ignorance, they do not consider the adults. They do not consider a crime to excite and nourish hatred against their neighbor, to enter into most unjust contracts, 
to do business, as we were just talking about, in dishonest fashion, to hold the funds of others at an exorbitant interest rate, and to commit other iniquities not less reprehensible. They are moreover ignorant of law of the law of Christ, which not only condemns immoral actions, but also forbids deliberate immoral thoughts and desires. Think about that in and of itself. The immoral thoughts and desires. Right? And like when we say every mass and what I've done, what I failed to do, like in my thoughts and like all of that. Like we, we make that prayer. Like it's there's so much to the the life of a Christian that is we should be getting rid of anything that doesn't reflect God Himself. Because we are called to be perfect as a Heavenly Father is perfect. And I think he almost revitalized that because he's seeing the modernists not only run rampant, whether it be the Freemasons or whatever, but they're even infiltrating the church. And he's seeing this kind of lackadaisical, we're like, no, we believe in hell. Of course we believe in hell, but we don't believe anyone goes there or it's empty, right? Or like, we believe in, yes, we believe in, in the Catholic Church, right? But I mean, they're all just, it's just one river that goes towards the one ocean, right? Like all, all of this, like it's very vague, right? And so you seem like, no, no, we're going to actually teach you, but we're also going to teach the amendment of your life because you think that the pursuit of truth itself is going to lead you into some, some foundational change at the very heart. Um, so, so I, I just wanted to make that point in that it, it has to be the amendment of everything. And that's why I love, um, the books that Popcheck has had me read, Dr. Popcheck, in the domestic church life, which is, for those who don't know, the domestic church is the family unit, is a domestic church. And how, if it is a church, then there's a liturgical practice within that church. And with that is every mundane task that you do, you're living it out for the glory of God. Like That's a prayer. That's a service. That's a virtue building ground that we can utilize. And that's for us as, as those that aren't, in um, um, the the priesthood or, or religious life, that's how we can restore all things to Christ. Is every mundane task we're offering up to, to God, but also having the instruction to go and, and spread it to those that we encounter. And the thing is, if you do not restore all things and only some things, or you're not educated, you're going to get into yourself into some modernism, and that's our next topic right here. How about that <laughs> yeah. segue? So uh, Saint Pius is probably best known for attacking modernism. Um, he wrote his encyclical, gosh, dude, I didn't write that down. It's Pacendi something, something, yeah. Domis or something. Great, 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 it had, it had to do with, as a pastor, you know, these are the duties of, you know, yeah. as my pastors, this, this is my duty. Um, yeah, Pacendi, Gregory, Gregorius. Domis, something like that. Uh, anyways, that was in 1907. Um, so then, actually, what was really cool is that in 1910, he saw it as such a big issue, um, which is, now, much more apparent how much it was an issue than back then. But in 1910, he required every bishop, priest, religious, superior, seminarian, and professors of theology and philosophy to swear an oath against modernism because he saw that it was that big of an issue because he understood if we're not restoring all things in Christ, if we're not educated, then we could so easily fall into the sum of all heresies, which we now define as modernism. Meaning it entered into the church, right? That's implied that it entered into the church. Freemasonry, mo- yep. modernism had entered into the hierarchy of the church. I think I, I read like 116 <laughs> things for this, but I'm pretty sure I read that like he was starting to like pluck off people that were like, yeah, you're a heretic. So why don't you go ahead and get out of here or some things like that. Like it started becoming a lot serious. It's almost like we could say drain the swamp you know, in uh, maybe layman's terms. That's what we were getting after you. Um, unfortunately, that oath was ended by St. Paul VI in 1967. I'm not implying anything there. Just making a statement that that's what happened there. Um, and a, a good, 
a really good sort of quote that we can take away from this one um, is it is an error to believe that Christ did not teach a determined body of doctrine applicable to all times and to all men, but rather that he inaugurated a religious movement adapted or to be adapted to different times and different places. Mm. So we've already had a discussion on modernism before. Hopefully you guys get it. Um, it's like, we got to be really careful. Uh, the main point is like when we're not educated, when we're not thinking about Christ and all things, it's so easy to fall into the temptations of our classic consumerist Protestant country of like separating the two or whatever it may be. Um, I don't have too much more to add to that. So you guys can go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, we see the, the errors of modernism that have seeped into the church. We see it in today's world. We see it in the educational system, especially the public educational system where like all the errors of heresy and, you know, the stuff he tried to call out specifically in this, and he was picking up the work of Pope Leo XIII, the Pope Nias, Pope Pius the Ninth, who came before him on um, what is it the, the the syllabus, the list of errors that they were talking about modernism, what it was doing in the church, right? So you could, I mean, we see it real time today, where they literally think, they literally think like people that you just quoted uh, in, in Ella's workplace, where they think like, oh, it's it's okay to hate Catholics, but it, but you can't because Muslims are tied to an ethnic group. It's as if Muslims he, are generally Middle Eastern is all she was saying. Yeah, yeah, which is idiotic, right? Yeah. So it's just, but the whole point is, is like, uh, maybe we should drop you off in Palestine and see how, how it works out for you over there, right? Because I'm pretty sure they're not going to really take to your, uh, to your, your tolerance. Modern, your tolerance. <laughs> they're not going to tolerate your intolerance, right? But it's, it's, you can see it seep out in all of this, the ignorance of people, right? The, the universalism or the indifferentism. I mean, you just name it, right? Like, and then when we speak truth, then, right? Percept, the professor Keith, Kiefer Sutherland's of the world will, uh, think that we're invoking hate when you invoke the word of truth um and, and so we've obviously done an episode on on modernism and what it's done into the church but i think two things that were actually the three pillars that we're talking about one is to get yourself formed you need to get educated right we're we're an intellectual faith right we believe that faith and science um uh you know come from the same uh, person of truth in Jesus Christ, and that if you don't know your faith, how do you expect to defend it when the rest of these folks, the atheists, the agnostics, the uh, the heretics, the Satanists, um, they're very formed in their heresy, but also in your, you know, and and the faith that they're trying to take down because they know where the, we have the the Church of the One True Faith. So, um, and there's that, and then also, of course, the Eucharist. Like we've been, you know, we've been talking about. He was a big uh, proponent of restoring the availability of that sacrament, which is ultimately Christ giving him of himself. Keone, what say you on modernism? Yeah. Yeah. Just real briefly, uh, kind of to your point, you can't know, if you don't know your faith, you can't spread it. If you can't, if you don't know your faith, you also can't love it. I mean, you can't truly love your faith. If you don't know it, you can't know, uh, God, if you, or if you're not trying to instruct yourself to learn more about him, um, and then, then you can't love him. And if you can't love him, then you can't love your neighbor and you can't love yourself. So it's, you know, in the, in the purest sense. And so I just think of like, to, if you're, if we're going to be who we're supposed to be in this world and actually um, be honest with ourselves and think we're going to actually make a dent in this culture, well, you got to know your faith um, so that you can actually love it because you're so convinced by it. And it's that conviction that people look at and be like, okay, I may not agree with whoever, whatever you're saying, but that's different. And then when we open the heart, then we're, we have the intellectual fortitude and background to actually give them a coherent argument when the heart's open but it's the conviction that i think that's the biggest thing and that's what falling in love is and the last point just the modernism to me it's like the, in the simplest ways it's like the yeah but idea 
right? Like, yeah, yoga is, you know, it's kind of weird, but, you know, it's, I stretch and I, I meditate and I feel so good after. And it's like, that's cool. Um, but let's look a little bit deeper into it. And, and when you talk about restoring all things in Christ, it's like, it's either leading us to heaven or it's leading us away and into ourselves, away from God, which heaven or which hell is complete separation from God himself, right? So it's like mm-hmm. being very careful with everything that we do, that we feed ourselves with. Our th- Mary talks about the reform of our thoughts and even our desires too. Um, so just, I wanted to make that point, but we can move in, move on to the, uh, to the Eucharist because that's obviously the source and summit of our faith. I was going to make uh, one last point because I think that's a, a good, a good kind of segue for me. Uh, when you want to sort of depict like what exactly is modernism, you know, at its root, it's ambiguity, but it's like, uh, you know, it's like weaponed ambiguity. It's, uh, it's, it's very intentional to make it seem like it's all encompassing essentially. And then when you have the all encompassing, that's when you have humanism and globalism. And that's exactly where they, they want us to be exactly where we are now. Yep. If you're thinking about like, Oh, how do we see modernism? Just look around you. It's, it's called division. It's called rooting God out as slowly as they possibly can. It started out with just, you know, worshiping science as we still do today. And then now we're even talking about bringing energy into the world. I thought we were about science, but we're actually not. Now we're into Buddhism and we're combining all these things that I thought were kind of not uh, the same thing, but we are. So modernism at its core, if you really need to understand, is rooting God out as slow as possible so that now we are all worshiping everything else but him. That's, that's literally what it is. So the sum of all heresies when we're thinking about this, it's just the, yeah, you know, being Catholic is good for you, right? But I need to find the right church for me or whatever it may be. I think that putting good energy into the world, all these sort of things, like all that, that's called modernism. It's not tolerance. Don't try to fool yourself into it. Not that, that once again, you don't have to be rude to people when you counter it, but just go, mm, I don't know. Let's focus on truth though. So let's not, you know, get here, here, always pursue truth in any conversation. That's all I would say. If you want to, you know, bring in anything about uh, modernism, like how do you detect it? It seems like this sort of like big umbrella word. But yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a good point. It's what you hear today. I'm spiritual, not religious, right? Like this whole thing where it's ultimately what somebody's saying is I'm a good person, bro. Don't judge me. Right. Like just cause I don't believe in your Catholicism. And it's just like, but we, if we believe Christ at his words and who he is as the true God, man, then there is no salvation outside of those who profess that he's God, man. And so if in true charity, as Keone was pointing out early, earlier, why would we not want everybody in this world to experience that level of love? Because in the end of all three of the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, the only one left when we get to heaven is love. And the only thing not there when you get to hell is hate, right? Is, or is love itself. So you're going to experience a life without God. So let's talk about the last pillar, which is the Eucharist. Yeah. So, um, like I said, he kind of lowered the age to about seven. Like, what is that? The age of reason or whatever? Basically, yeah. <clears throat> um, the classic Mormon is that when Mormons get baptized, age of reason, I ate or something like that. All right, not the point. Um, <laughs> and uh, I believe, yeah, he made it more frequent. But I'll give a nice classic quote that you guys probably already know: "Holy communion is the shortest and safest way to heaven. There are others: innocence, but as for little children, penance. But we are afraid of it. Generous endurance of trials of life, but when they come, we weep and ask to be." The surest, easiest, shortest way is the Eucharist. Mm. So he's like, you know, makes it his point quick, and then he punches you in the face three times, and then he's like, <laughs> yeah, once again, I said it already, Eucharist. <laughs> and it's true. The start, Gil Kiyoti said it's the source and summit of our faith. You know that from the catechism. Um, if you don't, you should read it. Um, but the, the whole point is the greatest gift our Lord gave us is himself. 
right? He came down, he humbled himself, became man. And at the Last Supper, he instituted uh, not only the priesthood, but the Eucharist in and of itself. And so every day as Catholics, we're blessed, hopefully, in your parish communities, at least here in America, you're able to receive our Lord in the, in the Eucharist, hopefully worthily, right? Outside um, of, again, uh, mortal sin, you're in the state of grace that you may be receiving it. But, you know, think about that in his infinite wisdom. He realized that we need that. Our Lord knew, knew we needed it. Pope Pius, Pope St. Pius X knew that we needed it. So making it more available to us at a younger age and more available frequently so that way we didn't have to go so far, right, in this battle here on earth without the graces of that sacrament. Keone, what say you on the Eucharist? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I think it's just appreciating Pope St. Pius X in that the age of reason is the ability for us to actually conceptualize that this is the body and blood of Christ as much as we can here on earth. I mean, I don't think we can ever fully grasp that concept, even me as an adult. Um, but but allowing even a young person who probably in a lot of ways can, is more captivated by it by your tip than your typical adult that walks up and receives it on the hand and, you know, and whatever. So I think that's, I think, yeah, should we move on from that one? But, uh, I think I think that's a, that's an important point. Um, I, th- I was going to give another point, but it'll come back to me. Yeah, I think one of the things you know, as we as we kind of round this out, one of the things we wanted to be able to talk about, Meeks. I don't know if it's it's the right time, but we were going to talk about just kind of the balance, right? You know, there's there's definitely division in the church today. And whenever you bring up the name of Pope Saint Pius X, especially when you think about the term "state of a contest," those who believe that you know the chair of Saint Peter is vacant at this point, um, that there's this uh, this great um, apostasy of the of the Catholic Church, or um, those that um, subscribe to uh, you know, the rad trad mentality or those who are modern novus ordo versus the ancient, right? Um, there's a tendency, right? For a lot of people, um, to, uh, lean to the extreme, right? So either go, man, if you're not going to the ancient, right, you're a heretic, right? And you're going to hell. And then they say, well, if you only attend the novus ordo or attend the novus ordo, um, the new right in the church, then I don't trust you. And you're a heretic, you're going to hell. So it's like, you know, we have to find and strike the balance. We were, you know, we were back in our day as we were milk and honey in our faith, right? We were we were doing the life teen mass, right? We were doing the um, the stuff that you know we knew at that time and were moved towards God. But now, as we get into the meat and potatoes of our faith, we're led into a deeper contemplation of a contemplation of that faith, and we find that most preferably, right, and most suitably in the ancient right. And so, I just you know wanted to. This is a very divisive saint um for the wrong reasons because he was trying to lead people to a greater deeper devotion to our lord i mean that's what all our shepherds should be doing is leading us to greater deeper more sustainable faith through the sacraments through the understanding of our own doctrine dogma and and the teachings of sacred scripture tradition and the magisterium he was doing it by exposing us more frequently at an early age to the source and some of our faith in the sacrament of the holy eucharist and so i i think just we have to be careful um, because I think we uh, we have a lot of folks out there can that can be div- divided, and that's what Satan wants. And so I just wanted to at least bring that piece up that you know there's an even balance to this all, right? The beautiful thing is that our Lord is a, our Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and He's present in the Eucharist regardless of the uh, whatever right you may prescribe to. Yeah, I was I was say it's uh it's interesting. I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but 
you know, I even like, you know, I could say Pius 10th uh, picture, you know, just, it, it gives a little edge, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's like ripping a nice dart, you know, it's just, you, you're like, whoa, uh, should it, is that okay? I'm not really sure, but whatever. Anyways, and I think uh, it can get kind of, where you can't use a saint, you know, in that way. I think that can be kind of yeah. a, a weird place where you're sort of like using it for a certain agenda. And obviously that has to do with, with the society and the very complex situation that that is. Um, and can get into it, which we definitely <laughs> will never be getting into, uh, if you guys are wondering about that. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, like you were saying that there's, there's a, it's a weird place to be in, but I think it's also exciting because I don't think we had a movement, a traditional movement, at least when I, maybe there were us and we just weren't aware of it, but it seems like now, although it just adds more drama and then when you put social media on there and then now you know the internet trolls can seep in and the internet theologians can all have their take and they just want to be heard in whatever weird way um at the end of the day it's like i think we're at least in a good spot to say like hey there's you know there's nourish like the way that benedict intended it to be almost like hey we can kind of nourish each other and there's room for um for both in a reverent way mm -hmm. i don't think there's any room for any irreverent mass so let's make sure that, yeah, <laughs> that I mean, part's clear you think about the whatever it is the other 23 rites of the church right that have liturgies tied to them and so you know we got to be respectful and mindful we're, we're the universal church which means that we, mm -hmm. we are the most inclusive uh, of, of all faiths and so we just got to be you know careful out there to my brothers and sisters out there who may be you know, I was, tempted. I was going to say, I had a good conversation with somebody when we went to that Phoenix men's conference and he was somebody that I was like kind of weary of the traditional youth people, which, you know, I was kind of like, mm, you're talking to me right now. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where you're trying to go with this, but it was like, it's important. Like you're not, we're not worshiping the liturgy. So let's like, let's make yeah. sure we're worshiping God and, and that kind of stuff. Cause mm -hmm. it, it can get really caught up. Cause the thing is it get, does give you an identity it is more edgy and fun to be like on a different side. Cause you're like on the right of the right, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, it just feels kind of cool sometimes. And like we can get, I know I can get like that. Um, and being really, uh, proud that I'm a, a trad Catholic, but it's once again, this just means you're Catholic. So if you're not <laughs> traditional, it's kind of like the whole point of it. Yeah. Um, so anyways, but I, I remember having that conversation and he was like kind of asking my goals and I was telling them, he says, see, you didn't once, you didn't mention the liturgy at all. You're talking about bringing people to Christ. And it's like, which we can get to the ins and outs of, but I think at the root of it to understand that and then just do it in the reverent way. Like Keone, I, I love the quote that he has, like, this is how I worship. But what about, what does God ask of you? How does, how does God ask you to certain, to worship in certain ways? Like yeah. it can't just be like, yeah. man, I, you know, I know that. It's church, but does he does he really care how I dress? If I'm wearing flip flops, it's about it's like no, probably yeah. He probably cares a little bit. I don't maybe <laughs> flip flops aren't the best response to to Jesus being present in the Eucharist. You Where's your I mean? wedding garment? We just yeah. heard in the in the scripture. Well, right? if it's just carpet, maybe it's easier with your you know board, <laughs> board shorts to kneel on the carpet. But here on the big daddy uh, marble floor, it's a little bit tougher. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because you actually read my mind because I was just going to bring that up. Father Mike Schmitz talks about it all the time and that we're, we as the human people are idol making machines and how even the liturgy can be a, an idol. Um, yeah. and the devil and, and Father Ripper always talks about the demons, uh, motto is anything but God, anything, even things that seem holy on its face or are, or are, um, modes for us to get access or get closer to god can be used by the demons by the devil himself to for that that to be an, a replacement of god and we get locked up in worshiping a gregorian chant or worshiping um you know 
Memoir. the band that plays uh, the band that plays Oceans every Sunday, uh, and they're off they're off key, but it's fine. Uh, you know, but whatever it is, because because the youth are there at that mass or whatever, right? We can easily worship one or the other, and I think right now this conversation and what so uh, Pope Saint Pius X talked about was the instruction and falling in love with God through knowing Him more, um, and whatever that means for us in our own spiritual walk. Um, but I'll, I'll end because I, I said I forgot something and it came to mind. I had a little brain blast, um, and I'll finish with you know we talked about. Um, the Eucharist and how it's been more easily accessible, but we're also seeing it being more downplayed, the reverence, I would say, of people actually believing. And so we have it, you know, only what, 20% of Catholics believe in the, in the real presence, right? And I think that the more access to the Eucharist has to be coupled with the other pillars, restoring all things in Christ, teaching and instruction. They're not mutually exclusive, right? It's like he intended all of those things to feed off each other, right? The more you make every aspect of your life in service of Christ, the more you try to learn and instruct yourself in others, in the teachings of Christ, and the more that you're receiving him in our mass, well, grace builds upon nature. Well, now you're more, you're literally becoming more like God himself because he's not only within you, all right, uh, through the Eucharist and sacramentally giving you the grace, but you're also, you're shedding all vices, building virtue. You're making Christ the center of all aspects of your daily life. Those those three things is the path of sainthood. And so I think, I just wanted to make that point is it's not one thing or the other because we can abandon one um, and, and then we start to take advantage of the other. Yeah, no good call out. I, for, I, I you know, I know we're, we're close to being out of time, but I forgot about, there was that one encyclical we were going to quote it about like, um, it, it was, I don't know what the Latin term was, but it was like on following PPK and Will the Blaze. It wasn't it something like yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, it's pretendi, putumudi, ladandi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think was, that was it. Yeah, yeah. pretendi, putundi, ladandi. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty deep. It was uh, about, uh, yeah. Like, it was, what was that one? 19, it was like 1908 or something, <laughs> yeah, right after. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was right after like he restored. It was like he did like the thing on sacred music on CCD. You know, he reformed the breviary. He instituted all these things. And it was like, you know what? I forgot my most important call as the, yeah. the vicar of Christ. He it was, was like, like, I have these three Mexicans over uh, yeah, that do this cool podcast. I got to give them a shout out. Uh. Uh, well, you know, we have fun. You know, we, we bring to you modern saints. We hope that we educate you, that we illuminate your mind. Um, really for the love of Christ and the love of Holy Mother Church. And so we have fun though, right? And so we hope that this was edifying. Share, comment, like, subscribe. You know the routine. But let's get holy or die trying. See you next episode. God's peace. <laughs>